Tech Sounds presents The Conscious Capitalists. Hello and welcome to The Conscious Capitalists, hosted by two of the co-founders of the Conscious Capitalism Movement and co-authors of the Conscious Capitalism Field Guide from Harvard Business Press, Raj Sisodia and Timothy Henry. Each week, this podcast covers current events and business news and Raj and Timothy's latest thinking on what it takes to build a conscious business. For more information and notes from the show, go to www.theconsciouscapitalists.com. And now, Raj and Timothy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Conscious Capitalists with myself, Timothy Henry, and my partner in making the world a better place through business, Raj Sisodia. Hello there, Raj. Hey, Timothy. Great to be with you again. Good to be with you again as we do our international broadcast with me in London, Raj in Boston, and our guest in Mexico. So today, we are going to have a, an interesting exploration of a company that is changing the way we both practically and theoretically approach how we educate our children. And we do it in a fun way that also happens to make a very great business. So today we have the CEO of Kidzania, the CEO and co-founder. And Raj, why don't you do the introduction? Yes, it's our great pleasure to welcome Javier uh, Lopez uh, to our podcast today. As you said, he's the the founder and president and chief executive of this amazing company that we will learn about called Kedzenia, which he started in 1999. So it's been around for a while. Um, Javier is uh, considered one of the most successful entrepreneurs uh, in Mexico. He's been honored by Ernst & Young and Forbes. Um, and before he became an entrepreneur, he worked at General Electric uh, in the venture capital uh, area. Javier has an MBA from uh, Kellogg, uh, Northwestern University and worked with Phil Kotler, a good friend of mine. I would love to talk to him about that as well. And uh, we're going to learn about this great conscious company, which is one of the companies that is featured uh, in the new book that is being released on December 4th uh, from Technologico de Monterrey about Mexican companies that are highly conscious. So welcome, Javier. Hi, that's how we say hello in Kitsania. And thanks, that's how we say thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Happy to talk to you. Yeah, brilliant to have you on. And um, I think the first part that's that's quite interesting, and we'll get into the company in a moment. But I'm 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 really curious about the the GE angle, Kellogg MBA, and then suddenly the entrepreneurial bug. Tell us about how that happened when you had what looked like a pretty um, I want to say conventional, but you know, almost a, a high flyer, conventional MBA, work for a, a big corporation, and bang! Next thing you know, you're off in 1999, starting an entrepreneurial business. What happened? <laughs> you know, when I finished college, I, you know, I did not look for the, the perfect path. But what happened to me, a lot of opportunities came to me. So first, I did wanted to have a master's degree. Uh, first of all, I tried to have it in Mexico because, you know, we are very, uh, my father is very promoting, you know, kind of uh, Mexico. So I started in Ipade. I went to have an international experience. So I went to Kellogg. But when I was in Kellogg, everyone wanted to go into consulting. That was like the big one. 
So I had no idea about consulting. You know, I applied to consulting and I was able to secure, you know, two offers to come to McKinsey or Busan in Mexico. So I started my days, you know, which I think were good days in consulting. When you're in consulting, everyone wants to move to private equity. You wanted not, not just to give advice, but you want to apply that advice. So General Electric was opening their private equity piece in Mexico, and they approached me to see if I would run that piece. So, you know, after some conversations, I jumped into private equity. And when you're in private equity, then your dream, everybody's dream in private equity is to become an entrepreneur. And that's when I did not look to become an entrepreneur. A friend of mine approached me with an idea that is, you know, the spark that started Kitsani. So it's really something that was not really like planned that way, but it really happened to me. But I was able to jump into these opportunities and finally get to my true passion, which is really Kitsani, where I am. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, I, I love the company that you do have. And maybe introduce our audience who, for the most part, if they don't have children in the, let's say, 8 to 12, 14 category, introduce Kidzania to us. Yes. Well, Kidzania is a series of learning and entertainment centers. For us, it's equally important that the children come here to have fun and to learn about kind of the future. So in order for this to happen through play, we want them to have an enriching experience. So we decided to use role-playing. So these are places where children come and role play. They become adults. They become lawyers, constructor workers, engineers, firemen, doctors, you know, all the professions that they, we adults do every day. For that to happen inside shopping centers in about uh, 60,000 square foot, we design and build cities for children to come and role play. So we, in these cities, we have the streets, we have lots, we have uh, vehicles, you know, circulating around, and we represent almost over 60 different establishments that the children already know. So we have a hospital, we have a theater, we have a radio station, we have a TV studio, we have beauty salons, restaurants, and so on, okay? So through play, we want children to, to learn about what professions they can no, apply when they grow up, okay? What glues everything together is that we have our own economy. We're very good teaching children about financial literacy. So we have our own money, it's called the kids home. So children are able to spend money in the city. When they run out of money, they cannot buy more money. They have to go and look for a job. They have to go and work, okay? So they go to the different establishments and they seek for a job where they get trained and they perform a job and they get a salary. So this is kind of the experience that we have in Kitsania. And this has started 23 years in Mexico under uh, here where I am from, okay? And it has been, a company has, you know, just grown in Mexico and internationally. And, you know, our purpose here is to really bring kids and to as many children as we can. So let me understand a little more. So you come into Kidzania, kid gets interested in a particular, I uh, want to explore something. Wouldn't that take like a full day or half a day just to go and do one of those 60 things? Yeah, it's a one-day experience. Usually it's about a six-hour experience. Yeah. The typical one-day journey is that the children with their families or with their schools, they come and visit Kitsania. Our entrance is always an airport. We want to simulate that the children are going to take a journey, a flight from Mexico City or Chicago or Tokyo to Kitsania. So they have to go to this you know, uh, airport experience where they get a boarding pass, okay, and they get into Kitsania. 
once they're in Kitsania, they have to go and, you know, start looking for, you know, different professions that they can try to see if they, they like for the future. So we have all of these different establishments when they go and they see where they want to work, okay? And they spend in each of these establishments 20 minutes to 30 minutes where they get trained. They learn about the professions. Why do we have these professions, no, in the world? And they learn how, you know, what are the jobs that, you know, these professions require, and they go and work in these professions. So in a typical day, they try between five to eight different jobs, and then they leave. And then they come back, you know, very often to try more jobs. Okay, so you're able to show them the basics in just 20, 30 minutes. Of, uh, yes, of, yes, we teach them about you know different professions. You know, this is uh, not a very it's very it's highly educational. We give them a lot of you know content, which is uh, uh, very well intended content. We also help children you know uh, develop skills, and uh, you know today because of technology, children are every time more time in front of a screen, and it's yeah. only one kid in front of one screen. So all of these important skills that are going to be key for the future, you know, like starting from socialization, negotiation, leadership, conversation, you know, talking to other people, those skills are not being developed. So through our play, we want them to get knowledge to help them develop these skills that are going to be key for them in the future. And very important today is to promote values among children, right? If you look at your our newspapers everywhere in the world today, you will be very concerned about, you know, how values among adults are every day more negotiable. But, you know, we want to play, through play, we want to promote, you know, good universal values to children. So mm -hmm. we give them knowledge, we help them develop skills, and we help them, uh, you know, cement these important values. And so I, I want to put this in perspective in the sense that you have 25 facilities from Mexico City to Tokyo to London, you host over 9 million visitors here in 15 countries, and you have 10 more facilities that are under development. Just to sort of give it a context in terms of the global size of this business, one of the things that I was really pleasantly but really surprised by was you have facilities in Taiwan, in Hong Kong, in Dubai, in Saudi Arabia, in London, in the US, in Mexico, in South America. Um, this is truly a global enterprise. And I suppose one of the things I'm fascinated by is you've got a kid in Mexico, a kid in Saudi Arabia, a kid in Taiwan, all going into these centers and learning about the future skills and opportunities for them. How do you manage that kind of global breadth with all the different nuances to cultures, et cetera? I'm just fascinated by that. I'm fascinated by the, the breadth of what you've done and the number of children that you touch every year. So say a little bit more about how you manage that cultural difference and on a global scale. Kitsania is an idea that was created and developed and operated in Mexico 23 years ago. But because it's a really a global idea, you know, role-playing, children education, you know, helping children prepare for the future. I think that's something we, you know, seek everywhere in the world. This is not from Mexico, this is not from Japan, or this is not from the US. This is, I think every single parent and every single teacher in the world want their children to become better themselves when they grow up. 
So having this globality of our concept allow us to grow internationally. And of course, uh, we broke a little bit the rules. Usually companies in Mexico, when they start growing international, you start going, you know, to the U.S. or Central South America because of, you know, geographical proximity is the same business structure or the same. But, you know, Kitsania has been able to really, you know, uh, uh, break, you know, cultures, languages, you know, all of these kind of barriers. Our first, our first was Mexico City and the second one. The third one was going all the way to Tokyo. That was our third and first international expansion. And through there, we have been growing, as you said, Timothy, to, you know, today, 22 different countries, very different countries, you know, Malaysia, Kuwait, Qatar, Brazil, Chile, really, you know, we have to follow where children are. What's very important for us is to have a local partner, to have somebody that we can develop our property in each of these countries where the children are. And uh, that gives us a lot of local know-how, a lot, lot of local know-who, no? and very important for us, a lot of know-why. So we look for know-how, know-who, and know-why. So we look for the right partner in each of these countries that allow us to take this children global concept. But, you know, cultures change dramatically, you know, from country to country. So we need to adapt, you know, from country to country. And we do this through our partners, everyone. Well, what I love, Javier, about what you're doing is, in a way, you're elevating the consciousness of uh, of these children and, by extension, of their parents as well, right? Because you're bringing in a consciousness of how do we improve the world. You're also bringing in uh, healthy food uh, awareness, environmental awareness, sustainability, uh, respect and tolerance, and so forth. So I think that is, you know, in our movement, the common denominator is consciousness, if we can awaken consciousness in leaders, but if you are okay, do it for four year, I mean, you know, uh, you know, kids who are four to fourteen, you know, get them started in that way of being, that's going to pay dividends for their entire life, but also for society. Yes, I hundred percent agree. Yeah, you know, Rush, and uh, um, I think education to children or helping them to promote values and skills is everybody's responsibility. And what we know is that, you know, what we learn in life, almost 85% of what we learn, we learn it in the ages from two to eight years. Then we just start adding things. So this is really the right age, really, to, to really give not only knowledge and, of course, education to children, but the right education. And to really, as you say, to create this consciousness of, about how, you know, kind of the world should be. You know, we adults are not going to change anymore. We are how we are, and it's going to be difficult for anybody to try to change us. But I think we can really make a meaningful experience for children. And this is, I think, is the right demographic and the right moment. And if you do this through play, you know, when the children are having fun, I think it's the best way to cement this good knowledge to children. And let's just remind that, you know, Kitsana has been here for 23 years. 23 years ago, there was not too many people trying to have, you know, these products that, you know, you have to do good business, but you also have to do good to society. That there was something bigger than just getting, you know, kind of return to your investment. So 23 years ago, we started talking about, you know, having a purpose, about having, you know, not only doing, you know, a good business, but doing well to, you know, to our staff, to our community, or to having, you know, results, economic results, but also results. And, you know, 
our vision, like, you know, 23 years ago is the same as of today. It's a very emotional vision, mission, which is really to ignite the hearts and minds of children everywhere to empower them to get to prepare to get ready for a better world. Okay. And I know it's one of your slogans is to get ready for a better world, but that was our slogan 23 years ago. We have not mm -hmm. changed it. So we really, I think, you know, you were very progressive, of course, but also, you know, I believe we were very progressive because in Mexico, in those times, not many people were talking about let's do good and let's do well, let's have performance with purpose. And then I was happy to learn about you. And, you know, that's when we just said, you know, we are just, you know, we, we felt we were part of you. Well, I'm, I, I love that purpose. When I read that, I was really, um, really quite blown away, actually, that, that, that this is something that you developed more than 20 years ago. And again, I'm curious, you know, you sort of said, hey, it made sense. I wanted to go to and get my MBA. I wanted to be a consultant. I wanted to be a private equity guy. I, but at that time, to decide that you wanted to be a business that was doing well and doing good was not, was not usual and was very unusual. So where did your philosophy of business come from? I mean, it didn't come from the private equity world. It didn't come from your MBA, unfortunately. So, but where did it come from? Where did that philosophy of this is how you really should run a business come from? Yes, I was lucky that I was born in a family that had big family business, important family business in Mexico. And that really gave you a good perspective. And I think my father, my uncles, it was like a big family that most of my, you know, uncles, parents, you no, know, and grandparents, you know, my grandparents migrated from Spain to Mexico. And, you know, there, I think, you know, a hundred and something years ago, it was really very hardworking, you know, and, and being very, you know, and, uh, straightforward and, and honest. And, uh, and I think that comes from, from my family. But also, you know, being able to go to, you know, on, on the education side, being able to go to good schools in Mexico, in the U.S., and uh, working in large, you know, kind of corporations, you really start, you know, getting kind of, you know, no? ideas from different kind of um, parts. And uh, and I think the rest is really comes from you. I think no? it's something you have inside that you really want, you want I don't think life is just about having a good business that just grows and has, you know, good profitability and, you know, and you become public and these nice stories. But I think we all have to, you know, we all just have to do something different about our surroundings. And coming in a place like Mexico, our surroundings, you know, I think we can improve them a lot. It's, it's very challenging to see that not all of us have the same, you know, opportunities, equal, you know, access to education and yeah, good medicine, good food. So, you know, you just have to have very big eyes, very big ears and, and be very responsible of what's, you know, around you. And I think that's something that really comes, I think, inside you. And you just have to be aware and, and not only aware, you just have to do something about it. Well, that metaphor that you use, that the entrepreneur has to have very big ears and then you added eyes, I think that's, that's a great way to describe it, right? That we are always on the lookout and listening to see what are the, the pain points, where are the needs. And perhaps Phil Kotler had an impact on you in thinking about understanding customers and understanding needs in the world. So yes. if you could talk about, first of all, that metaphor of big ears, big eyes, big heart, I would say, 
and then also what you learned from Phil Kotler and, uh, and Philip Kotler was my teacher in Kellogg was and uh, I have great memories of Philip Kotler and one of my great memories you know after Kellogg and after building Titania I got one day a call from Philip Kotler uh, he had visited Kitsania in Jakarta in Indonesia mm -hmm. and he was blown away about you know about social marketing you know that we do you know this is about you know, communication to children and families. And he was really blown away and he invited me to go and visit him in Indonesia. So I took a plane and went to see him in Indonesia. And, uh, and he really fell in love with Italian. He sent me a very strong emotional letter. His new book was about social marketing, about doing good. Because in Italian, we need the support of different companies to represent their trades in Italian. So when you go to our supermarkets, industry, it is represented by Walmart. If you go to our auto dealership, it is represented by Nissan. So we need the support, the knowledge, the extra expertise and the credibility of these real products and brands in the hands of children for make our experience enriching. So for these partners to become close to families is very important. And they have selected, we have over 1000 different associations with these brands all over the world. I don't think there's any other property in the world that has all of these relationships with, you know, very good for you kind of brands and, and purposes. So being the guru of marketing uh, that Philip Kotler is, he thought that we had a very good proposition for these companies because it's about social marketing, about interactive marketing. It's not about giving the messages, but it's really about living, learning. And so, um, he was really a good inspiration to really have this component in our product. And I keep in contact with, 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 with Phil, of course. He's, with he's still going strong. He's in his mid-90s now. Well, in terms of these corporate partners, that's a key part of your model. Um, and you've got a thousand of them. So different ones in different locations, I guess, right? You've got about 60 in each location, more or less. Yes. Partners. You know, we have to adapt Kitsania to each, uh, to each country we go into, to each culture. The number one thing that we adapt are the professions that we pitch to children. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, restaurants. In Mexico, if a children want to work in a restaurant, we have a taco restaurant. But if you go to Japan, we have a sushi restaurant. Mm -hmm. If you go to Indonesia, you have a noodles restaurant. So you have different professions, different trends that each country has. So that's the first thing that we have to apply locally is to the local tastes and aspirations of children in each country. Second way to adapt it is we invite local companies because they already know our children already know those companies, know their products, know their services. They trust them. It's very important for us. So we having local, you know, brands no, or representations in Ishkitania also makes it very, you know, very localized. And that's how we start kind of adapting. There are some things that happen everywhere. You know, like being a fireman, every single country has firemen, has doctors, has you no know, policemen, have, you know, airplane pilots. All of them, you know, we replicate, but, you know, some of them things. What we're trying to do now, we're now changing rapidly to professions of the future. You know, mm -hmm. because of technology, you know, the professions that the jobs that the children are going to aspire when they grow up, you know, the children of today, half of those jobs don't exist today. Mm -hmm. So we have to pitch them of jobs that we don't even know that they're going to exist. So now we're changing towards jobs of the future. So now we're introducing in every single Kitsania jobs about industries that are going to support the future jobs, you know, like coding, robotics, 
artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, drones, nanotechnology. So we're starting to incorporate all of these professions into our content so that the children can try these professions today and they can aspire for they grow up. So that's what makes it exciting and challenging, right? Because it's so constantly evolving. So I know you use 2.0, Kenzenia, 3.0, 4.0. Yes. We're talking about 5.0, right? There are some real cities and they have to evolve and they have to, no, we have to. Not only we change, I think children change are changing rapidly. First of all, they are growing up faster than before. And that's something. Second, the span of attention of children are becoming shorter. So 23 years ago, our average activity was 30 to 40 minutes. Today, it's very difficult to get 30 to 40 minutes entertained children. So our activists have to, we have to give them the same content in shorter periods of time. So we have to be smarter and uh, children want to try more and more things, you know, and uh, children are changing. Of course, professions are changing and, you know, like real cities, Kitsana has to evolve through time. And that's what we do. We continue innovation every single day. So as, as you look across how you've grown the business, what are the two or three things that you think were critical to your being able to expand and grow? As you look back now over the last 23 years, well, what were a couple of the key lessons learned here for you? I think the most important thing is kind of the people. If you ask any CEO in the world, what is your biggest asset in your company? I think 99% of them are going to tell you my team. And to be honest, in Kitsan is not 99%, it's 100%. I think having the right people around you is the most important thing that has happened to me. Because you're not the expert in many things. All the ideas don't come from you. And of course, you don't have the economic resources, the time resources, the creativity. So you really need the support. And our product is really people. No? If you go to a movie, if the movie is great, but the service is bad, you love the, the spirits. But the other contrary, the movie is terrible. Even if the, uh, if the service is perfect, your spirit is going to be bad. In our case, we can plan a great activity. We can plan a great city, beautiful setup. But our staff, the person that is, you know, guiding the children, telling them, you are going to be a hero. You're going to be a fireman. You're going to extinguish a fire. You're going to save lives. That person for us is our product. So, you know, people is the most important kind of assets. And second is don't do things alone. I think finding the right partner for you. So finding your right partner in Tokyo, finding the right partner in Saudi Arabia, you have to be, you know, very, as we said before, you just have to be very kind of open. And those are the two things. And the third thing I think is really, you have to concentrate on what you do good. And, you know, you always have to follow your values and your principles and never follow from them. We are talking about children. We're talking about education, you know, about us being role models to children. So, you know, we're very strict on what content, what experiences we put in front of children. This has to be truthfully and good for children. And here we have a very, no thin lines. This is, yeah. this is what it needs to be. So I think those, no? and the right people, the right partners, and the right purpose, if you want yeah. to say, I think that's what guides us to continue to bring Kitsania to as many children as we can. Yeah, related to that, I mean, obviously, when you grow as much as you've grown, you also have to get an alignment between this business model, this purpose, and the capital you bring in. Because, yes. you know, at some point, 
point, you need the growth capital. How did you manage that discussion or that choice of partners such that you could align your business philosophy with the money you were trying to access? Yes. You know, our strategy to grow Kitsana because we had limited resources, both, uh, you know, people, talent resources and economic resources. We, we thought that the best way to grow our business was that we will grow in Mexico ourselves. So we will develop, we will fund, and we will operate our own facilities in Mexico and internationally to grow faster. And because of this local know-who and know-how, uh, we decided to look for the right partner in each market to a franchise system. So that allowed us, they, part of the capital locally was put by them. And this allowed us to grow rapidly and to adapt our products to all of these different kind of cultures and business arenas. And uh, today our strategy is changing, but what we're doing today is we're trying to acquire some of our franchises. And that has happened to most of, you know, everybody that's grown through franchising or distributors, they go and attend and they go and acquire. Now that happened to, you know, McDonald's, Starbucks, Ford, Coca-Cola, and that's yeah. where we are right now. So now we were able through franchises to, you know, to go and tap into all of these markets. And today we just acquired our operation in London, where you are. We, you know, we acquire our operation in Brazil and Chile, and that's what we're doing kind of right now. So for many years, we, we, we did not have the necessity to look for external financing. Uh, we had good numbers, you know, we had access to banks and that's the way we grew with our own facilities. But now today that we are acquiring, we, after 20 years or 22 years, and with COVID, we had to open ourselves to find the right partner. So two years ago, we started this process of finding the right uh, equity partner for us. And since I worked in that industry for General Electric some years ago, I had some you know, kind of ideas and some experience, and we were able to secure a very good partner that's supporting us on these acquisitions, on building this new brand and business that we're launching next week on wellness. And this is a little bit where we are. But it was not really, I think you mentioned something important. For us, it was not really looking for money, to be honest, or for economic funds. We really wanted somebody that really you know, uh, helped us promote our, you know, our product, our purpose, our, you know, values. And uh, we interviewed, you know, we talked to and got offers from 10 different institutional corporations to best in our company. And we decided to go to Discovery because uh, many of the, you know, if they look their corporate values, they have five corporate values. We have five corporate values and four of them are identical. So it's really without even planning, you know, we are very similar on what we look, you know, going forward for themselves and for Kitsen. Well, I think the, um, as you say that, I think that one of the things that's always interesting to our listeners is if there's one or two things that you wanted to convey to a CEO who's thinking about going on this kind of purpose-driven journey, what are one or two pieces of advice you would give to someone who's, you know, feeling that they want to get more aligned with their personal values and make their business, you know, a good business, but also do well as well? What, what, what advice do you give to, to those CEOs? Yeah, first of all, I don't know why they are like separate. You know, let, let's see what's happening today. We have these corporations that are, you know, are for, for profit. 
and they're looking all the time how to become bigger, to sell more, high, high profitability, their EBITDA margin, you know, what is their stock price? And there's these sets of, you know, angels that are not for profit and, uh, and uh, they are, you know, they never have the resources, money, people to fulfill their value. And, you know, these corporations don't do these sorts of things because they think this is an expense, this is not going to support us, this is not going to help you. And that's, I think that's a totally wrong mindset. So the first thing you have to tell these people is you have to change your mindset. Not because you're going to do doing good for the environment, doing good for your team, doing good for your people, doing good for your communities. It's just going to be more cost and you're not going to do good on these things. So I think the mindset, I think, is wrong. So the first thing you have to is really change that man, set of mind to really, and that's one advice is really to be open because I think at the end, you know, private corporations are going to go to the middle and NGOs have to become more, you know, more institutional, more profitable, more you know, creating their own resources because there's never going to be resources. So all of the corporations are going to be in the middle. We're not going to have non-for-profits and, and just for-profits corporations. So that magic would be kind of the first one. And second, I think, especially for companies my size, it really has to start from you to be, you know, when you're still the president, you're still the founder, you really have to really, this is your flag. And that you have to bring it down and down, you know, and, and share it and, and make it everybody's flag. But it really has to start from you. If you don't start, your corporation is not going to start, to be honest. And I think at the end, my personally, is more fulfilling to, you know, to, to make a difference in children, to see how children enjoy, learn, and they really, you know, question us better. Makes me more happy than just having a company that has more visitation, more revenue, or more, you know, more. So it's really, I think, your satisfaction, what you get out of it, honestly, it's just so obvious. But you have to test it, you have to, to see it, you have to yeah. experience it, you have to feel it. You know, Xavier, as I think about who who's your competition, right? So, I mean, kids can go out and they can go to theme parks and they can go to, you know, Six Flags and Disney and all those kinds of experiences, which is just pure entertainment. But I think increasingly this blending of entertainment and education is, is what's needed. You know, kids today are more intelligent than ever. It's an incredible statistic that every decade our IQ is growing up by four four and a half percent over the last 80 years. So kids today are incredibly smart and probably not challenged enough. And that if we can bring these two things together, I think to me, that's the holy grail. I mean, I see that as more and more, uh, you know, the combination is what's going to be needed, not just pure go and waste a day at Six Flags, you know, but actually get some enjoyment and some stimulation and some inspiration out of it. So no, I think that's, uh, you're very well positioned for where the world is going, and you're you're a pioneer in that. So that's just I 100 agree with you, Rush. And uh, I think the the biggest advancement of Kitsana was to really blend in learning and education. But what's happening is that before us, everything was more like it was only about fun. It was like six flags and Disney. They really didn't care much about education, promoting value, helping develop skills. And in their concern, you had like museums that they were not really oriented or fun for children to come and visit and to really learn. And you have them very, very different. You know? It seems people did not repeat or going back to museums and entertainment was only about having fun and, you know, really getting 
revenue out of the visitors, to be honest. But there was like nobody in the middle. And I think everybody has to go towards the center. I think traditional entertainment centers have to move to, to, pro, to give, you know, a better, more deeper purpose, you know, towards education, learning, towards. And I think, you know, museums have to become more fun have to become more inter- interactive. They have to become experiences that are high repeatable and, and you know, and even more fun. And, uh, and I believe today we're in the sweet spot. We're right in the middle. You know, for children, this is only about fun. The only reason why children comes to Kitsani is to have fun. But for us, for their parents, for their teachers, it's not about fun. It's really about giving them a very enriching experience that they're going to take benefits when they go up. And, you know, this is where we are. And the other dimension I want to touch on is your culture. Uh, you talked about the people side a little bit. Even beyond that, I think what you've created is quite a unique culture uh, within the company, right? And, uh, you know, for example, you talked about the uh, financial, the performance is financial, 50% and 50% is societal measures, right? I think you you use some interesting language, like your departments are called ministries. Yes. Employees work in ministries and they serve the, Rep- the Republic, etc. Yes. We talk about that language. And I know you also do, you do things internally where you have challenges for people to improve their health and other things like that. So Talk a little bit about your culture and how you have consciously shaped it. I think there's two parts for the culture. And uh, let me start for the easy and more fun part. And um, we have this culture about the story we tell children why Kitsania comes to place. And it's something we live very deeply and it's very fun. Basically, the story that we tell children about Kitsania is that, you know, children all over the world were fed up of how adults were running the world. They thought we were doing a very bad job in terms of corruption, you know, bureaucracy, and, you know, and uh, all the values, no, or using the natural resources. So the, the story we tell children is that they, all the children got together. They consensus of what was more very important for them. And once they knew what was very important for them, they made a very strong declaration. And that declaration became a declaration of independence. And they asked for the independence from the adults. And because they became independent from us, they created their own nation. As a nation, we have our flag and our constitution, and we have, we have the whole story of a full nation. So, for example, I happen to be the president of Kitsania. It's not good because nobody voted for me. I'm more like the dictator of the Kitsania, or 20 years now president. But we have this very deep, deep story that we live, we have our own language. That's why we say Kai, we say Sangs, okay? We have, uh, um, and this is kind of part of the culture that we all live in. And honestly, here we don't work, you know, you don't work here in human resources. You work here in the Ministry of Labor. So that's part of the culture and it's pretty, it's a very fun story to live upon. And really, our people really get very engaged with this story. And the second piece is really kind of the culture that, you know, Kitsana has to involve and has to do every day a better job. We really, all of us honestly are here to help children create, get ready for a better world in the future. And every single day we're looking how to make this more educational, how to make this more learning, how to, you know, bring more content, good content for children. So here our meetings is not how to sell more, how to, you know, get more spending from our visitors or higher petition or new lines of business. Honestly, our culture is 
really how can we make this a better proposal for our visitors, for our children. And I think that's the culture. Everybody is in love with our purpose. Everybody's in love with the mission we have. Everybody lives it. It's not the same for working designer to work for a tobacco company. And it's, it's so obvious, but they really know it. It's, it's really this passion about what they do and how convinced they are about how we fulfill, you know, to all of our stakeholders, how we have a very good relationship, a win-win-win relationship. We have very well defined who our constituencies are. And every day we have to see how to improve our relationship with our visitors, children, adults, parents, or teachers how to improve with our shopping centers, which is an important constituency for us. Our industry partners, these companies that represent their trade, very important, our staff, our team, how we improve our relationship with our team, with our suppliers, with our governments where we are. So we, every day, you know, this culture of how to you know, innovate, you know, this, what you said before, Rosh, Kitsania 1.0, Kitsania 2.0, Kitsania 3.0, 4.0. And usually, Innovating is not inventing. People think that you have to invent. No, innovating is really what we're already doing is how do we do it better? What do we learn from our competition, from our visitors, from our team, from everybody? Now, once again, having very good years, we have to learn from everybody and how we need to improve in each of these you know, relationships we have. And uh, we are very dedicated to our team, to our collaborators. This is, you know where we have, as I said before, our biggest asset and our biggest, for me, my biggest, I would say, what I am most proud of is really the people that is around us as our team. I love it. I love the way you've just described the, the importance of innovation and how the stakeholder approach, the culture of the business and this focus on innovation around your purpose come together to really give you some superpowers and, and super energize things. Now, I this is probably a difficult question. And, um, you know, when you have a founder managed business and those values are sort of your values and you've built the business around that, as you're thinking, uh, you know, at some point that this entity needs to exist beyond you, beyond just the founder's energy, how do you think you're going to keep that culture and those values over the next 10 years after you step away? I think that I think I've been lucky to start kind of building kind of the team to really document everything that we know and we want Kitsania to be. So I think this institutionalization process in the operations, in our decision-making process, in our you know, kind of management. I think that, you know, even if we continue to be a family business, because we just recently got, you know, an institutional investor, but I think we got prepared for this kind of to happen. So I think that's also, it was not something planned. It was not something only from me. And honestly, you know, all of these kind of ideas and, and, and making Kitsania every, every year or every day better doesn't come from me. Honestly, it really comes from all of these People, honestly, all of my, you know, around my team, we are very open to new ideas of new ways of doing things. And today, I think it's it's a culture. It's not something that, you know, it is, it's, I believe it's already embedded in Kitsanya. And of course, I've been running this business 23 years. And uh, my dream, I always say that very soon, I bring a very good CEO to, no? 
to continue having, you know, kind of the finance operation administration and, you know, the human, the human resources. And I get on the side more on the creative on the, you know, kind of the, on the product side, that will be kind of my dream. And I'm preparing myself for that to happen. So we're in this process. You have to plan for it. You have to, no, you have to plan, but, but you have to execute it and then you have to let go. Honestly, and it's very difficult at the beginning to to, to let go, yeah. but but you have to let go. And what doesn't cannot change are the values, the principle, the purpose. That's something that really cannot change. And that's this is how we started. This is what we are, and this is what we are going to be. Okay. And the only thing we have to do is really, you know, we have to make the process to continue being like that. That's where we or my role today is to really make sure that you know, we will continue with the same purpose, with the same values, with the same mission that we have today. And that has to overlast me and my team and, and our generation of children today. You know, uh, one of the companies we wrote about in the healing organization is Kind, you know, Kind Snacks, Kind Bars. I don't know if you have yes. one. But Daniel Lubetsky, the founder of that, uh, you know, he created a foundation called the Kind Foundation. And one of the things that they do is they connect children from all over the world. I think it's fourth graders. So what they're doing is connecting fourth grade classrooms electronically with other fourth grade classrooms all over the world so that these kids get to meet each other, know each other, and see how we are all so similar despite the different cultures and so forth. And it seems to me that given how geographically diverse you are and spread out, that have you ever connected your different centers together so that the kids who are in Mexico City can see what's actually happening right now in Johannesburg or or somewhere else? Is there a screen? And somehow the kids can also talk. Is that is that something that I think would, would add some value then? No, we have not done it. And uh, I've seen that other people have done it. Two things help doesn't work for us. One is the time hour difference because we operate 10 hours you know, from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. or to 8 p.m. And uh, when we are, kids are having fun here in Mexico, they are sleeping in Johannesburg. So it's very difficult for them to really hand kind of the, the time lapse. So, but what we're doing and uh, is to really get to know more about children. So we're starting to do a lot of, I don't want to do research on children, but we want to hear children. We want to, to know about what they want to be when they grow up, what their aspirations are, what are they worried about their future. So we're starting to be the voice of the children. So we're starting this new division because nobody really has operations in 25 countries with this demographic to see, you know, what children are expecting from us. And because that's part of our mission. So now we're starting to do all of this, you know, getting closer to children to ask them what are the problems of the world, how you think we can fix them, you know, what do you want, you know, what are your aspirations? So, so we're starting to, to, to get to know a lot of this information and very soon we're going to launch kind of our first report to really see, you know, really what, you know, kind of the, we're calling it like happiness index of children, how happy they are with us, you know, running the world and to see, you know, where they're going from. But I think, I love your idea, Rosh. I think we have to just not get them together, but we have to listen from them and we have to become their voice. We have to to become, you know, kind of their active voice to see what they really want from us. Mm. Well, I, I love one of the things that you do do, which is the, the rights keepers and the values that they represent for the ideals of your nation. Right. And, and yes. you, you've created characters around these six values 
And my understanding is that that's part of the experience that the kids get when they go into your centers. Um, how did you come up with those six? And how do you, and again, you know, the translation of those from culture to culture to culture, it must be fascinating to sort of have that front row seat and then combine it with what you just said, which is, you know, and and what's the future? What's on these kids' minds? So yes. tell me a little bit about that values journey and, and, and bringing those to children and trying to make those fun to learn. You know, because we are a nation and we're cities and, you know, we're our citizens are the children. Okay, They become kids and, um, you know, children should have their own rights. So we started looking at, you know, what rights are important for children. And we, you know, those have evolved through time. At the beginning, we had four rights that were important. One was the right to know. I think we thought that children were able to, to learn, to explore, to not to take things from granted from adults, to really question us. So we put all of these things about kind of learning knowledge on one big you know, group of, which is the right to know. The second is the right to, to care. Is to really to care about people at the beginning and to care about our planet. We were put in this planet. So we want to take care of our natural resources, of our animals, our plants, and so on. And the right to be, to be alive, to be, that's the most important right, right? To be here, to be present, to be independent, to be unique, to be different. This right to be kind of different. And then, you know, we started adding more rights because we thought that we did not have this, you know, the arts, this, you know, more... Uh, not only knowledge, but also, you know, kind of this artistic to be different, to inspire different influence. So we added the right to create and we decided the right to care, to divide it. It's different to take care of the environment than to take care of the people, to socialize, to embroil, to embrace other cultures, other backgrounds, other preferences. So now we have these six rights that we really children live upon. And to tell this story to children, we decided to create these characters that each character would be, you know, entrusting one of these rights, that they will be in charge and they will be promoting, defending. So we created these rights keepers. And that's, you know, through characters, through play, not through media, it's easy to promote you know, these rights of children to children with our characters. Love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it is, it's, it's a uh, good story. Thank you. Like Timothy, I wish my children were younger so we can do it over again with your help, you know. <laughs> yeah. Everybody has a children inside. So you can, you know, your many things make me feel proud about Italia. First of all, I like this idea to become an example of entrepreneurs. In Mexico, we have very, very, very few entrepreneurs. And uh, I just remember about three years ago, I gave at this big conference in the largest university in Mexico. And, uh, and I did this exercise and said, please take out your phone or take up a piece of paper and I'll give you two minutes to finish a list of five entrepreneurs from Mexico. After two minutes, I said, please stand up the people that finished the list of 10 entrepreneurs. Very few people. So there are really very few entrepreneurs in Mexico. We are not promoting entrepreneurs or people don't want to become entrepreneurs or we're not telling that we have entrepreneurs, but nobody knows that. So, you know, one thing about this to really, this is a good example of entrepreneur. Second, I think it's a good example that Mexican company can grow to Asia or to Europe, okay? We don't just have to go to the US or Central America because 90% of our business just, okay? So this is also a good example. 
And third, being in education and in entertainment, you know, being able to export a brand from Mexico in these two industries, we're very unique. And we always, you know, promote this everywhere we go. Of course, we are always, you know, promoting Mexico. I do believe that Mexico needs more entrepreneurs. I think Mexico needs better governors because I really believe that we have so many good things in Mexico. Our people are amazing, are hardworking, are very honorable and very value-oriented, are really very good people. We have very good natural resources. We have a lot of history. We have a lot of resorts. We have a lot of, you know, we have everything, but we have not had our right, you know, kind of moment. And uh, so I hope Mexico, at least Kitania, is a good brand. In many countries where we are, Rush, we are the only Mexican company. Mm-hmm. The only brand, Mexican brand in Kuwait, in Malaysia, in Indonesia, in Qatar is mm-hmm. Kitsanya. There mm-hmm. is no other Mexican brand there. So it's really for me, it's an honor that, you know, we are representing a little bit of Mexico, our creativity, our professionalism, our purpose in all of these countries. And it's something that really feels there. And because of this, I get involved in, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs organizations. So I'm on the board of a lot of, you know, organizations that promote entrepreneurs. I'm also on the board of a lot of children-related causes to support children. I'm also on the board because I think that's the way for, we can also influence everything that you're saying, Rose, that we have to promote our country, our brand, our culture. Well, Xavier, 9 million children a year come through your sites and get a taste of that and the world is a better place because of it so thank you very much for being our guest today and for the inspirational story that kidzania has become and thank you for sharing what that journey has been like today thank you now thanks timothy thanks rash and uh thanks for telling our story and uh very committed to continue together we have the same slogan get ready for a better world very happy to continue yes. working with you know conscious capitalism Thank you, Javier. Thank you very much for uh, doing what you have done and what you continue to do. I look forward to your next venture, which is going to bring a lot of health and well-being to adults as well. So thank you for all the work you're doing. And thank you to our listeners and whatever channel you're listening to. um, Please feel free to hit the subscribe button or go over to Apple and iTunes and please leave us a review and any comments there on what you enjoyed about our show. And thank you to Tech Sounds, our producer, who each week makes sure that this program comes together and gets to you. Raj. And thank you also to Technological de Monterey, as well as the Conscious Enterprise Center, for promoting this philosophy in Mexico and beyond to make the world a better place. Thank you all, and we'll see you next week. 